Hey everyone, welcome to Internet Characters. I'm Keshav, and the following is a conversation with Brian Logan. Brian is the co-founder of Campsite, a collaborative tool for teams. Previously, he designed native mobile apps at GitHub for four years, and before that, he co-founded Spectrum, which was later acquired by GitHub. He also worked on payments experiences at Facebook and started as the first product designer at Buffer. Moreover, Brian co-hosts the Design Details podcast, which at the time of this recording has 461 episodes. That's insane. Our conversation primarily revolves around design feedback, the problems Brian's working on at Campsite, version control, and building end-to-end products as a designer. So the first thing I'd like to know, like, what's a day in your life at this point of time? Uh, and what are some problems you're working on at Campsite? Every day is pretty different right now. I think, you know, week to week, the problems are changing. For example, this week, I'm spending a lot of time hiring. We're growing the team, looking for engineers and people to come build Campsite with us. And so that means I'm doing a lot of interviewing, a lot of outbound recruiting, that kind of stuff. Okay. I would say, you know, at the level higher than that, um, day to day, I'm working on Campsite. And Campsite is, uh, you know, an early stage startup. We're figuring out exactly what the product should be, figuring out how to build something that's really valuable for design teams, for product teams, making the right uh, systems that help people collaborate more effectively, uh, share work in progress, get better feedback on their work, all these things. And so really like my day-to-day is thinking about product and design uh, all through the lens of how do we help make our customers successful and how do we grow the business. Okay, so interesting. So uh, I used Campsite and I think uh, uh, I, have, I have some feedback for you. Uh, and also, also would love to, firstly would love to hear what kind of problems do you think Campsite solves and what was the initial idea that inspired it? Like what were some problems you faced uh, that current solutions uh, could not solve and uh, campsite then that that, that uh, campsite was one of the solutions that you thought of. What do you think? Yeah, so the nugget of inspiration goes back to when I worked at Facebook. We had an internal tool there called Pixel Cloud, and Pixel Cloud was very powerful. But if I had to distill it into like one blurb, you could call it like a dribble for the Facebook design team. It was more than that, but at its essence, it was a way to share screens and prototypes and work in progress, uh, both with the people you were working with, engineers and PMs, but uh, that work also rolled up into a feed that everyone else on the design team could see. And what was really cool about that tool was uh, it made it really easy to see the texture of the Facebook organization. You could see what projects people were working on. You could see some of the crazy ideas people had Uh, It also served as a really useful historical archive of everything that had been designed and tried before. And you could go way back in time and see like the early designs for Messenger or Profile or Pages or like these things that we now take for granted. You could see what the first draft of that looked like. And so I remember joining Facebook and I felt like this tool helped connect me to the culture at Facebook. It helped introduce me to the people on the team. Uh, and then day to day, it was a source of inspiration and uh, truly like a place that created serendipity. Like you would see people working on things that you knew you should work be working on together. 
So fast forward to today, I don't think that that kind of tool really exists in the world. Um, people who, who worked at Facebook have left and tried to make this uh, an internal tool at other companies. It's been attempted as another startup in the past. And I don't think anyone's really cracked it. And I felt this pain a lot at GitHub. GitHub's a distributed company. Uh, and you know these days, most teams are distributed in some way or hybrid remote. And in that environment, it's really hard to just know basic things like, what are we working on? What's happening? Uh, what designers are touching which parts of the interface? And this is uh, a problem for a lot of reasons. One is it makes it really hard to understand like where your work fits into the broader whole or the broader picture. Uh, and then you know, you're missing that ability to collaborate with people who are working on things where, where you should be talking to each other, but you just didn't know that, that yeah. they were working on something interesting. Uh, and you know, the way most companies solve this problem today, this visibility uh, problem is they'll do some sort of manual like status update. Usually it's an email newsletter or a monthly all hands. And in all of these scenarios, the artifact that gets spit out at the end of those is a one-time use thing where you're kind of like cramming crappy screenshots or videos into a Google Slides presentation. Like nothing really feels great. People skim it once and then it just goes away and you can never find it again. Anyone who joins the company after that date will never see that progress or have access to that archive. So campsite is a place to share work day to day and that accumulates into a really rich archive of, of the design decisions and design evolution for a company. Uh, we're building tools to help designers manage and centralize feedback. If you talk to ICs today, they're getting feedback in Figma, in Slack threads, in linear tickets, in GitHub PRs, uh, in Google Docs, in Notion Docs, like comments everywhere. And what's consistent about all of those other tools is that they don't actually give designers the right tools to leave feedback, to respond to feedback, to create issues from that feedback. So for example, if you share an image in a Slack thread, you can't comment on a part of that image, right? If you share a video in a Google or a, a GitHub pull request, you can't comment on a timestamp of that video. These are things that creators need to leave really high fidelity feedback. So Campsite gives people those tools and we connect with all the other tools that people use to get work done. So anyways, that's a long monologue from like inspiration, some of the problems that we're thinking about and really why I think Campsite is a great tool for teams to, to do this totally. stuff. I think that's such a great answer. So I also worked at a startup previously for nine months. I mean, I was working with PMs and developers. I noticed one thing that, which is then let's say if two people are, are on a call, uh, and then they, they two be, those two people discuss something. Then you'll have to repeat it over and over again for everyone to get context, uh, because only only two people had uh, had that conversation, and not everyone knows what they talked about. So you have to repeat it once and uh, over and over again whenever you talk, whenever someone else joins that that particular project. So I think this is also this is a really great uh, solution for that. And also I don't know why I never really thought of that. There is literally nowhere. You can you can go and see what everyone in the in, a, in an entire company can, is working on at that at a particular point in time. So I think campsite can therefore sort of evolve into something really big, just not in design. I think if, uh, but I think that's that's very far off, not really at the current time. But I think also I I, I had a question that 
you wrote a post i think a while back about a personal change log on your website uh did this idea spin off from that because uh it's very similar uh, because i think one problem which campsite is solving is that designers uh hate making portfolios uh and <laughs> and documenting stuff uh, i think if you uh, if you have that sort of if you could look at as an archive of what you've done in the past uh especially with something like campsite it'll be much easier to show show other employers that this is something i worked on some sort of version control uh was it evolved from changelog yeah i think there's a lot of interesting ideas there um we actually see a lot of people using campsite today as a personal changelog or a work journal uh or or a, a place to sort of automatically accrue portfolio content while they're working at a company i think uh that's really cool. It's not necessarily like the primary use case we think about, but uh, I think the profile is incredibly interesting, right? Like think about every other workplace tool you have. Uh, basically the only one that I think stands out to me where there's like a meaningful profile would be GitHub where you could go to someone's profile and see what they're doing, right? Um, everywhere else it's more a, a very miniature profile, maybe like a popover or a tiny sidebar that gives you like contact information, who their manager is. Like that's fine, but I want to see what somebody's done, right? Especially, yeah. especially when someone leaves a company, right? Like they take so much knowledge and exploration and ideation with them. And when that can be preserved on campsite, like just because someone left doesn't mean their ideas are gone forever. So yeah, I, I think we have a ton of untapped potential on on the profile, and it's cool to see people using it in the ways that that you were describing. Um, but ultimately, this change log, this idea of like being able to follow progress over time, is incredibly powerful, right? Like developers use this; it's it's a it's nomenclature in in the programming world that you have like semantic versioning and like version numbers mean things, and like nerds get excited to read release notes. And it's interesting to try and figure out what that looks like for an organization where maybe the release notes are less about like patches and bug fixes and more about like, hey, we staff shipped this thing or we got this feedback from this customer or we hit this milestone together as a company. Like what do those change log entries feel like for for a, a product organization? That's something really cool that we'll be spending yeah, more time yeah. on. I think one of the very, one of the, uh, I think, really helpful things that Uh, make you the one of the best persons to build this is that you worked at github before uh, and uh, there was a design tool in the past which i don't i don't think took off a lot uh, which is called abstract uh, it had version control with and i think it worked with sketch uh, but i think uh, i have been thinking about this particular idea which is github for designers for a while uh, and i think it will be very interesting to see in a world where designers can also uh, push commits uh, like pull requests or all, all of those stuff that github does Uh, I think uh, campsite uh, can really evolve in in that direction. What do you think about this? Like, yeah, I think on well, okay. So first of all, the GitHub is definitely uh, one of my favorite tools. I think it's one of the yeah. best pieces of software in the world. It's incredibly powerful, um, and one of the fundamental principles that drives GitHub is that everything exists at a URL. Literally anything on GitHub, there's a URL for it. It makes it really easy to share things, to bookmark things, to find things. Every commit has a URL that you can send to somebody and see a diff, and that's really powerful. I think in the product and design world, um, the question of like what is a commit is an interesting question, 
And I don't think it's uh, as as small of a change as a commit yeah. on GitHub would be. Like that's just too noisy. Um, so the way we're thinking about it is like, yeah, campsite could be this commit version history for an organization where maybe the commit is, you know, we shipped something, we hit a milestone, we, we accomplished something. Um, and then maybe like within each of those, there's like nested version control, you know, like designers ideate a lot before they arrive at a thing that they're going to ship to somebody. So there's almost like this recursive nature to it, but you got to be careful with um, what ends up getting surfaced to everyone else on a team. Otherwise it just becomes too noisy. Right. So on GitHub, they do a good job of this where the, the bucket of things that you really care about are pull requests. And within a pull request, you might have a hundred commits and those hundred commits are useful to the people looking at the pull request. But for the whole organization, the pull request is probably like the right uh, layer of, I don't know, uh, granularity to understand what are the impactful changes that we're shipping. True, true, true. Also, one more question which I had on this is that I think you mentioned somewhere on the website, uh, campsite's website, uh, the point was that whenever some, whenever a designer is asking for feedback, uh, what sometimes happen is that, happens is that there is someone who, who is in a position of power uh, and their feedback sometimes takes priority over others' feedback. Uh, and that's how, I think that's how uh, most features get shipped. There's, there's always someone in power who, who, gets, uh, who gets to make the final call. But uh, do, you, do you think that uh, campsite can be uh, a sort of solution for this wherein everyone gets to have the right amount of say in shipping a particular feature? What do you think about this? Well, I don't think everybody should have the right amount of say yeah. in a feature, right? Like I think there are people who are going to have more context and there are people who are better at doing the job or have more exposure to that problem space or have tried that thing in the past and like bring critical information to, to guide a more informed decision. Of course, those people should probably have a little bit more sway in, sure. in the, uh, the outcome. I think the way I think about it is we're just so easily biased when we see information before we've had the chance to think independently. Like, you know, you go and you're watching a YouTube video and you read the top comments and those top comments might shape the way you perceive the rest of the video before you've even finished the video. Um, and people just do this. This is a very natural interaction, right? You read the Slack thread before you reply. You read all of the comments on a Google Doc before you leave your own. You you want to make sure, I don't know, we just have the social tendency to like play within the bounds of where the conversation is already happening. Uh, so one of the ideas that we're exploring on Campsite is this idea of like, can you help create systems that remove bits of bias that would, uh, in some cases, prevent people from saying what they actually think or prevent people from piling on to whoever happened to comment first, regardless of their seniority or exper uh, expertise. Um, so yeah, that's kind of the way I think about it is like, I don't think every comment should be weighted equally. Like the person who said it in the, the context that they have matters, um, but it's still important to give people or to try and give people a space to think independently about feedback they're gonna give to somebody without being sort of preconditioned to be positive or negative, critical or, or celebratory, right? Like just come in and say what you actually think and then we'll reveal everything else. I think those are really interesting like social workplace 
dynamic ideas. And and frankly, like we have some of that in the product. And when people encounter it for the first time, sometimes they're like pissed. They're like, wait, I can't read the conversation until I comment. That's insane. Like, why would, why would you do that? Uh, And when you talk with those, those people and you sort of interrogate what they're looking for, uh, they usually come to this self-realization that like, oh yeah, I was trying to get a sense of what people were saying to inform what I was going to say rather than just thinking. Right, it right. So I don't know. It, it's a tricky balance, a- find, but uh, we're seeing interesting feedback from customers and, and on the data about how people are interacting with that. I think this sort of group thing happens a lot more often than we realize. Uh, and I think that's, that's definitely a good, good way to solve for this. Also, the reason I asked this is that is there a possibility of everyone having the same amount of context on a particular problem or will there always be some people who will have more context? Because let's say if you can, if you can go, go to website and view what everyone is working on and let's say you're working with a close group of five people who are working on a project uh, and because there's this sort of uh, historical archive of everything that everyone's ever worked on or is working on. So there is this... Uh, availability of knowing about everything that's that's already happened and uh, where we are taking it from there. So that's why I asked it, like, do you think that can everyone have, have the same level of context for a particular thing? No, I, I don't think that's uh, realistic, but I think that people can have, well, first of all, like it's a reality that people have different contexts, right? Like this yeah. is the role of, um, executives and leadership and the CEO, like they are going to have different contexts and a different point of view on the product strategy and why certain things are being worked on and why certain ideas might not be worked on. Um, but they probably won't have all the details on, on the day-to-day decision-making. Um, here's the way I kind of think about it is, you know, if you use Twitter or you use Facebook or Instagram or any of these social media tools that have a feed and those feeds have lots of information Um, you find yourself scrolling through those feeds and what's happening is you're sort of passively absorbing context. So you're not reading every tweet with high intent. Like we've developed a really good sense of like skimming and scanning and just getting little bits to like hone in on the stuff that's actually interesting. And, you know, people will tweet that they changed jobs or they'll tweet about some new project that they've launched or side project they're working on. And you might not even like it. You might not even reply. You might not save that tweet, but it somehow gets filed away in this like background processing context engine we have. And I think the same thing happens in the workplace where we're actually capable of processing and organizing way more context than we think. But that doesn't mean you have to read every post. It doesn't mean you have to read every document or go through and like organize every decision that's ever been made. It's literally just the exposure that creates even just loose connections like, oh yeah, this person's working on this thing or, oh yeah, that thing staff shipped last week. I remember hearing about that. And that usually is the right entry point to go and learn more about the stuff that's actually relevant to you. So anyways, I, I hope that answers your question. Like, no, yeah, not everyone have context on everything, but I think in the workplace, like people who are capable of organizing and synthesizing a lot of information and the presentation of that information matters, right? Like a feed versus... I don't know, having to go and browse 50 Slack channels. Like that's a very different way to, to find things. And I think the feed, um, yeah, it's it makes it relatively easy and we're used to it in the context of other tools like social media. Like while, while building campsite, the next question which I have is that, what are some problems you have discovered uh, designers face while collaborating 
which you didn't think uh, previously? The world we're in now where I think more teams are hybrid or remote, there's a lot of people who haven't met their coworkers in person. And so I think there's a lot of teams that don't have really deep trust in one another. And what that means is there's a lot of anxiety, especially for designers who might be earlier in their career as a designer. Um, but even, even for, for senior designers, I think there's a lot of anxiety about sharing work in progress. I think there's a lot of anxiety about showing something that's not high fidelity or pixel perfect. There's a lot of anxiety about showing something and being worried that someone without context is going to come in and leave a shitty comment or uh, derail a conversation. And I think most teams I talk to really resonate with this because the solution that people reach for to that anxiety is they do most of their sharing in direct messages or in private mediums, like a private Slack channel or a private group somewhere else. And I think that's a real shame. I think that represents a lack of trust. I think it represents a lack of, I don't know, like communication hygiene within an organization where people aren't able to sort of self-select into to joining uh, a conversation that they have, you know, sort of permission to join. Uh, it creates a lot of information silos. It, it breaks down communication between teams and projects. And again, the solution that people reach for to solve this uh, in most companies is they do these like really manual status update gathering exercises that end up creating, I don't know, an email newsletter or a Google slide or something like that uh, because they know like everything's happening privately. So once a month, we're going to get everyone to just like share one thing publicly that we can show to the rest of the team. I think that's a shame. I think it's a reality of, of a lot of big organizations. And I, but I think it's a reality that's gotten worse in the last three years with COVID and remote work and, and this sort of hybrid setup we've all found ourselves in. Yeah, I think uh, that's something which I also I also faced uh, when I was, I, I was working remotely for nine months. And I think, yeah, many of many people face this that uh, whenever they've joined a company and work and they're working remotely, they initially they find this one person that uh, they're really comfortable sharing things with. And then everything then goes, then that person becomes the primary source of uh, everything that you're going to share with and then those DMs that just go on for so long uh, and like I think that's that's what causes uh, two people to have a lot more context than other, other people so yeah I never thought this is actually a problem but yeah that that's a really great really great way of framing things also I, th- I think like we can talk about this for a really long time but I wanted to know more about your uh, initial design journey I think 10 years ago you published this uh, this website known as the collection. So I wanted to know more about uh, the collection, and uh, because I think you were really young, uh, what, what sort of learnings did you have from this? And was this then your uh, initial decision to just go into design? And yeah, so I, I've been interested in design since before that. I was always making websites and like tinkering on the internet. I think the collection was my first like big side project. Uh, you know, at some point. I don't know, like millions of people were using it to discover music and listen to songs. And like, we could help launch new bands and like get their first release in front of a lot of people. And that was really exciting. This was a side project I started in high school and sort of ran through college. Uh, But I think the experience of the collection was interesting because 
you know, it's a content business. You're like publishing music every day. And over time I became less and less interested in the music part of it and more interested in like the website part of it. Right. All of a sudden we have this backlog of thousands of songs. Like how do people discover that? What's the playback experience? Like how do we categorize and organize these things? Is there a way to browse by artist, by album? Like those are product design problems. And those were the things that I ended up gravitating towards and wanting to solve. Just as an example, uh, we were probably one of the first blogs in the world that built a bottom playback bar that persisted across page changes. So like, imagine it's a blog, right? This isn't Spotify. This isn't SoundCloud. It's a freaking blog. It was a WordPress website. But we built this playback bar that sat at the bottom where you could queue up songs and listen to music that played as you navigated around the site. Now, of course, that would be a very easy and simple thing to build today, a lot more straightforward, kind of the user expectation when you're interacting with music. But at the time, for a WordPress site, that was pretty new. And I think people really liked that and responded to it. And that was a fun problem to solve. So anyways, that was like really when I I understood what product design was and that helped me get my first job at at Buffer. Um, But in college, I wasn't studying design, I was studying business. not really because I didn't think studying design wouldn't be useful or anything. I just felt like a business degree um, was also interesting to me. Like I, you know, I like starting companies. I like understanding how businesses are run. I, I think I have this like weird uh, interest overlap of design, engineering, investing, like tech culture, like all those things kind of collide around business for me. Um, so I, I studied business, um, but really like. Nights and weekends was where I was playing and building websites and learning what product design even was. Uh, apart from Cansight, what do you think uh, design tools are going to look like? I think Sigma is also going to change a lot uh, because as they've introduced variables and dev mode, I think Figma is moving towards a direction wherein you can directly ship things from Figma, more like a visual replit. But I would love to know more about uh, more thoughts on this from you. What do you think are new tools that are going to come? I mean, it's a great question, but honestly, I don't have good ideas. Like I probably won't have a good answer to this question. Um, I don't think about design tools that much. Um, I think the ways that people work will change. I, I'm like an AI skeptic or like, I don't know. (laughs) I need to see some proof in the pudding with some of this AI stuff, but it's, it's fairly easy to imagine a world where, where a computer could be like a co-designer with you. I think there's a lot of boring parts of design where you're nudging things and like, I don't know, swapping variables around and figuring out like if this is part of your design system or not. Like that's all boring manual stuff. Uh, the way I think about it is like anytime you have to move your mouse to like drag stuff around uh, to get it to like snap together or you're like changing numbers in the sidebar in the properties panel, it's like super tedious, boring stuff. That's not a skill, right? Um, so I feel like computers and AI might might help with some of that stuff. Um, certainly, I think Figma's dev mode is interesting. Like clearly, the world is going towards more integrated end-to-end uh, ways of thinking, right? Like fewer silos of of well, maybe, maybe the tools can be siloed in terms of how you create things, but ultimately like they got to meet in the middle in order to ship a final product. So I see the tools becoming more, more interconnected. Um, and I think the way Figma approached it is really smart, right? Like 
dev mode is cool. I haven't had a chance to play with it, but what I really admired was that they built the VS code extension yeah. and the VS code extension talks to Figma in a special way, but the VS code extension exists in a place where developers do their work, right? You don't have to force developers into Figma. They can continue using the tools that they love, uh, but the tools are now aware of each other. I think that's probably more of the future where we go, where like tools are aware of each other, but people still have the ability to opt into the experience and the exact application layer that, that works best for them. Do you think that because the threshold to making software uh, is getting easier over time, like it's getting easier and easier to build things, uh, do you think this will inevitably result in uh, software design getting more complex and designers working on more complex things? Well, yeah, it's getting easier to build things, but I don't think it's getting easier to build good things. Um, you know, just because you can make a clone of Reddit doesn't mean you've made Reddit. Just because you can make a clone of Instagram doesn't made you, mean you've made Instagram, right? There's just so much more that it takes to build a, a long-lasting, loved product. So certainly the the, the floor is lower, right? Um okay ceiling's probably higher. That means more people are able to get their foot in the door and try things and get them in front of an audience online. Um, but because there's more people doing that, I think people's collective bar for craft and quality and interaction and solving real problems is going up. I think, you know, one of the traps that people fall into, and I'm certainly guilty of this and continue to do it is just because you can build something doesn't mean you should build something. Like, I don't know, you think of the arc of literally every product ever made is it starts off pure and simple and people love it. And then that company adds a hundred features and all of a sudden thing is bloated and slow and hard to reason about and new people don't understand the way it works. And then someone comes along and builds the simple strip streamlined stripped down version of that thing. And people love it. And we rinse and repeat over and over and over again. And so I think the ability to build lots of features and solve lots of problems doesn't actually help you figure out like what's the simple thing, what's the most valuable thing to people. How do you how do you expose functionality at the right time in the right order? I think those are going to be hard problems for forever. Sure. Uh, and uh, yeah, I think it's why you end up with a lot of interfaces that feel cluttered and messy and hard to reason about. And it's not because the designers are necessarily bad or the product like wasn't necessarily good. It's just that. It has existed for long enough that cruft has accumulated and keeping that cruft whittled away and pushed off to the sides is a very hard challenge, right? I think this this can be traced back to a, a law in physics known as the second law of thermodynamics, which, which states that uh, randomness increases over time, uh, which is like entropy increases, delta is greater than zero. I think that's why uh, things get complex over time. But... Uh, Something I've been wondering for a while is that, let's say a, a company has, has done everything right, why don't they stop iterating? Why don't they, I have not seen any company not shipping out features, uh, even though they have they might have built the perfect thing. Why do you think everyone has this tendency to just, uh, just like they're just shipping out new features? I don't know. I mean, maybe it's dependent on a case by case basis. I think there's certainly teams that have managed to, to work slowly and methodically and like be very selective in what they end up building. I think a good example of this would be the, the team at Cultured Code who builds Things. Like Things is a yeah. to-do app that looks very similar today that it, as it did five years ago. 
Um, they're very selective in what they build, but what they build is really high quality and everyone loves it. Um, I think, you know, when you're, you're building a product uh, and, and operating a business, like people are asking you for things and the, the challenge or the, the requirements change over time, right? Like the way you use Figma today is probably very different than the way you used it four years ago. And if Figma didn't evolve, then we would be using something else that met today's needs and today's constraints. Um, the same thing happens with, with tools and software, right? Like the world around us changes, the devices that people want to interact with tools on changes, right? Now, all of a sudden, when you build something, you need to think about the phone and the tablet and the watch and the desktop. And who knows, maybe in the future, it's augmented reality and virtual reality. So like the complexity, the, the, the context in which we're building, the context in which people are using our tools just changes. And usually that means building new things. I think where people really struggle and... Every team struggles with this. I struggle with it is when do you remove stuff? Like it's really hard to remove stuff, right? If anybody uses something and you take it away from them, it feels really bad. People hate having stuff taken away from them even more so than they like having things given to them, right? This is like the loss aversion principle from, I don't know, like behavioral psychology, uh, Kahneman or whoever wrote. Um, yeah. Anyways, uh, so I think this this is really the problem is like we build things that a handful of people use. Mm-hmm. And so it's really hard to justify removing it because you don't want to make people mad. And so it just sits there or gets stuffed into some menu and then menus become overloaded. Like this is just a very natural progression. So I think it takes a lot of, I don't know, self-discipline um, or or conviction in what you're building to remove features that are no longer relevant or applicable to the, the problem you're trying to solve. Sure. Also, interestingly, uh, I have noticed this. I think when I was working, I don't remember it. It's been a while, but we deleted a certain certain feature, which the numbers said that not many people are using. The moment we deleted it, there were so many <laughs> customer support requests that where, where this feature did, why, why did you delete this feature? Uh, I, I was using it, but the numbers didn't say that. Like uh, after deleting it, people I think people realize that yeah, this might this might have been. Nice. I don't know why why this is the case. They're not using it; it's gone. Now they're frustrated. Uh, so that's interesting. But uh, the other question which I have is that let's say you were a designer who start who is starting his career in uh, this year. What advice would you have for designers and the skills that they should learn so that they they don't they stay relevant and can work uh, in interesting places. Build lots of things and don't let your lack of knowledge in a field or discipline prevent you from making progress on building something. I think the people who do the best in the world are people who encounter challenge, whether it's, hey, I need to learn a little bit of coding to solve this, or I need to learn a little bit about how businesses work, or I need to learn a little bit about how to do sales. People who encounter that and overcome that that hurdle end up doing really, really well, right? Like they are great generalists. They end up starting companies. They're able to bounce between different disciplines and uh, create more interesting things. So, you know, as I like look at designers today, I, people often ask like, how, what's the shortcut? Like, how do I... <laughs> How do I get good fast? And I don't think there's a shortcut. I think the answer is build lots of stuff and solve lots of problems. And over time, you just encounter 
very similar problems. You're able to pattern match a lot faster. Your technical skills have leveled up. You can get things out of your brain onto a screen in half the time, or you understand which parts of a process aren't important and which parts are. Like that stuff just happens and accumulates over time. So the advice I always give to people who want to get better at, at designing and making software is go design and make lots of software. How do you get over this fear of things not working out? Uh, I've just done enough things that didn't work out and it didn't okay. really matter. Uh, like it was fine. I survived. I'm still living life and happy and eating dinner and playing with my dog and like going out for walks. Like life continues, even if something fails, um, most of the time, right. At least in the context yeah. of what we're working on, we're not building existential things here. Um, so I think, you know, just coming to, to terms that, uh, it's okay. <laughs> I don't know. It's fine. I think people overthink this. I think um, people are, are way more scared of what could go wrong than they are excited about what could go right. I always like to think about like, okay, but if it works, like, then what? That's way more exciting and interesting to think about. Uh, at the same time, I think it's entirely reasonable to de-risk starting something new, right? Like leaving a job, taking a lower salary or taking no salary, to start a company is, is a risky proposition. And that's certainly riskier for people with different uh, family situations or financial situations. So I do believe in de-risking. So for example, when I started Campsite, uh, it started out as a side project. I work on it nights and weekends for three or four months. Uh, I took a leave of absence from my job to work on it for another three months, and then I quit. So I basically had six months where I built the first version of the thing, showed it to customers, made you know dozens of iterations, uh, made sure that it was a thing that not only I would continue to be excited about, but actually had legs as a business. So it's not like I just woke up one day and quit my job and started this thing from scratch. Like there was a very uh, long uh, ramp up to the point where it felt like a, a rational decision. So anyways, I'm not advocating for making irrational decisions, but I also think that uh, people twiddle their thumbs and worry about uh, what could go wrong way too much and they would be better suited just building the first prototype and showing it to a friend. Yeah. Thanks so much for this interview. I had a really great time talking to you. Yeah, it's nice to yeah. meet you. Give me a person.